those who are visiting today, you're perfect. There's a church down the street. I do have a disclaimer, though. Uh, middle school, you're released, by the way. I do, I do have a, 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 a disclaimer. I've already been rebuked twice saying, oh, do you don't want Jesus at this church? I know. So those two people I kicked out because we don't want any of that kind of attitude around here. Good morning, church. Uh, if you're visiting here today, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor of the Gathering Place Church. If you didn't get a visitor pass, please grab one on your way out. Has everything you'll need to know about the church, also about uh, lunch is coming up at the end of this month. Love to have you come have lunch. Uh, I'll be there to talk. I can share with you what we believe while we're here, what our goals are, and love for you to be a part of it. Um, one of the things we are doing as a congregation is we are taking risks. Every person crossing the line and uh, stepping out. And uh, I got an email this week. I'm going to read this to you from uh, Rick Higgins. And uh, what, we, what we know about the kingdom of God is that uh, the only way you'll see God break into your life in a supernatural way is when you take risks. I was laying in my bed one time, and I was just communing with God, and I said, God, how would you do these things? It was just a question I threw out there. I thought maybe one day he might answer that. Immediately he spoke back to my heart and said, risk. And so uh, I've shared with you um, for the last few weeks about how uh, God had a power encounter with the lady that was cutting my hair supercuts. It was a risk for me to pray for her hurting shoulder because she was a stranger and I had supercuts. But you, God has stretched out your hand to heal if you're expecting Jesus to stretch out his hand to heal. You and I are hands and feet of Jesus. Can you hear an amen? So the testimonies we're sharing, some are, uh, you know, wham, bam, boom, like that, or supercuts. But other testimonies, and the ones I'm enjoying reading, are those that are just simply people taking small risks. And that's the testimony is the risk taking. So here's one from Rick Higgins who heads up our men's ministry. I promised I'd share a stepping out story with you. I was just trying to step out for the first few times. I was on a business trip, and I whipped out while waiting to board the plane and on the plane, but uh, I prayed for courage and an opportunity. I went to baggage claim, grabbed my luggage, and I was out front waiting for the bus to the rental car area. While waiting, I saw this lady, and a little voice said, talk to her. So I started up a conversation. She gave me a piece of Turkish bacon. Shop out dot Jeff City, by the way. Lord, you are giving me a cheeky congregation. So wrong. It turned out she was a Christian, so we sat there chatting and encouraging each other in the Lord. And on another occasion, you see, that's the testimony, risk of stepping out. On another occasion during that trip, I saw this young, tattooed up, creepy-looking guy. That's what old men call young people, tattoos. Just, did you really say that? I'm going to read that again. Um, he was a young, tat, a young tatted up, hippie-looking guy. The only difference between him and you when you were that age is you didn't have tats. It turned out he was an artist and a Christian, too. We chatted and encouraged each other. The whole trip went pretty much that way. Everyone I stepped out and started a conversation with, the person was a Christian. It was odd, but it built my courage. I was on a mission to heal the blind, but Jesus used those people to help me. 
It seems the Lord was giving me only this. Jesus knew what I needed and provided. It seems when you do what the Lord wants, you don't ask, don't say, okay, God, uh, okay, God who created the universe, here's my plan, let's do this. And instead, you do what he wants, you get what you need. I need spiritual training wheels. It took me a while to figure it out. I can pretty much approach anyone and offer prayer and encouragement because I'm his child. Way to go, Rick.
So let's, let's read this out loud together. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what he So first, you and I have to work hard. This is not easy. It's hard work to fight against the flesh and fight against the temptations of the world. So we've got to work hard to what? Show, not hide, but show to affect the results of your salvation. And how do we do that? Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And then I love this expression just to give us the power, but to give us the responsibility. I remember when I first got saved, and uh, I just didn't want to go out and get drunk anymore. I didn't want to go party with my friends anymore. And they'd call me up, and they'd say, hey, Anthony, let's go. And I'm like, I don't really want to. They're like, oh, oh, oh. I'm like, no, I really don't want to. What's wrong with you? Well, I didn't want to. I knelt down by my bed when I was 19 years old, invited Jesus into my heart. There's really no shame answers, no no government choir, no lights, cold never fashion. And what happened was suddenly over time my desires started changing. I rather I would rather be at a Bible study on a Friday night than in a bar. Now you can't do that just because you decide to do that. There's got to be a want to. God working in us to give us the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. I hear an amen. Because we are not in a religion. Did you know that? We are in a relationship. So what does a transformed life look like? Let's read Romans chapter 12, uh, verse, well, let's go 1 through 8. I'll say 3 through 8 here, but let's start at the top, Mike. Let's go 1 through 8, and then I'm going to expound a little bit more. Because we already did verse 1 and 2 yesterday, our last message. That's as far as we got in verse 1. I'm going to do my best to get through this message as quickly as possible. I beseech you, therefore brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed, pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed. My message today is what does a transformed life look like? Be transformed by the renewing, not the removal of, the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me, the Apostle Paul saying to the Roman church, and now to us, to everyone, everyone say everyone, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one, everybody say each one, that includes you, say that includes me, Say it includes me. This is really important because, you see, in religion, it's a professional clergy that does all the spiritual stuff, and you are the audience that watches. But in Christianity, I am a coach, and my job is to empower and equip you to go be the salt and light of the world. So to each one, you have a grace from God. And we're going to look at that. In verse 4, for, for as we... So I'm going to go back to verse 3. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure 
of faith. You have a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace, everybody say grace, that is given to us, let us let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches and teaches, he who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, I'm going to stop there, take this chunk, and expound on it, and we'll go to uh, the rest of the chapter. So the three points I want to cover today. One is, how, what does this transformed life look like? You must know that you have a gift to share with others. Every one of us have a gift to share. Now, you might need to discover the gift, but you have it. And many times, you don't realize what the gift is. Some of them are gifts given to you at birth by God. You're created and made to independent. You have natural gifts in your skill set. You don't realize those are true. But, and then when you're born again, he gives you other gifts, supernatural gifts, at new birth. And then sometimes you get more gifts as you grow, like Paul the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gifts of evangelism that's in you that you received when I laid my hands on you. And it was a transfer of a spiritual gift. So God is a gift giver. You've got to know that you have a gift. Sometimes it's hard to discover. Like, I'm the youngest of a trial of children, youngest of children. And I remember when I was a little boy, we'd sit around the dining room table, and everybody's got this Roman Catholic family. Everybody's talking. Everybody's just talking loud. Everybody's, and I'm trying to say something. I have an idea. I'm trying to say something. And I keep trying to say something, and I just get grounded out by all my brothers and sisters and my mom and my dad and my grandma and my grandpa. And I keep trying to keep trying. I'm so frustrated. And then finally someone says, wait, 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 wait. Don John has something to say. Don John. And you are not allowed. Because I'll end up, I'll, I'll end up back in counseling. Just stop. Don't matter. They say John. John has something to say, and everybody would, and you go immediately silent. Everyone would look at me, and I'm like, and then they'd all start talking again because I slow it down. Little did they know they would be tithing for me in the future. Sometimes he'll take your strongest attributes and use it that as well. And sometimes he'll give you new gifts. So you've got to know that you have a gift and you have to have confidence in that gift. The gift is called, the word gift literally is grace. It's charismatic. That's where we get the word charismatic from, these supernatural gifts. They're called spiritual gifts, gifts of supernatural ability. Some people don't use their gift because... They think, well, somebody else already has that gift. Somebody else already sings at the gathering place. Somebody else is already a writer. Somebody else is already serving at the cafe. Somebody else already has this gift. You know, that's not that's not a good excuse. And the devil's robbing you. And really, it's probably just fear and intimidation and doubt in your life. You know, the Bible says 
that the stars will reveal the glory of God, not the star. How many stars are there? Right? Trillions and trillions upon trillions and trillions. What if there was one star and then the next star says, oh, well, there's already a star, so I'm not going to worry about it. It doesn't say the star reveals the glory of God. The stars reveal the glory of God. Your gift, when utilized, reveals the glory of God. You do not want to show up on Judgment Day having your gift in your pocket, unused. You say, here, you can have it back. I didn't use it. Not good. You don't have to get jealous of other people's gifts and envious or fearful or whatever. I love it when somebody walks up to me and says, you know, To Mark, you go to Mark and say, you know, John Calvert said he has a fabulous gift. <laughs> we know that. It's not a secret around here that some people identify with Mark. Some people identify with my people. Some people identify with Chris and Rachel. Some people identify with Josh. You know, I mean, we all have different gifts, and you've got to shine. Some people like country music. Some people like rap. Yeah, and they're both horrible, but some people like them. You have got to shine your gift, because when you shine, God shines. When you shine, God shines. You say, well, I'm not very good. Well, you'll get good. You know, when I started preaching, I put myself at risk. I remember the first time I preached, I went out to the park. I led a couple of teenagers to the Lord. And I said, come back to my apartment, and I'm going to give you a Bible study. They came back. I got out one of my big uh, speakers, you know, one of these big box wood speakers from 100 years ago, right? I used it as a pulpit. I put my Bible on it because that's all I knew. That's all I saw. And I read the Bible. I read the Word of God to them. And, oh, my gosh, they were all so bored. It was, it was torture. They never came back. I didn't want to come back. And I prayed this prayer. I said, Jesus, you've got to give me the ability to share illustrations. So many. I, and then it's like the next week, bam, it's like this window opened up. Well, I have more stories and illustrations than I can use. I, you know, I will just tell story after story and illustration after illustration. So that, that, was a, that was a supernatural door that opened up for me to utilize, to encourage God's people and make the Word of God relevant. That came from God. He'll do the same thing for you when you step out in your gifting. He will add to you. So, the first thing is, you have to know that you have a gift to share. Secondly, you must use your gift to benefit others. So I'm already preaching to that. Look what it says in verse 6. Having then... Having then, past tense, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to each, let us use them. You have to use your gift. I don't know, some of you maybe don't use your gift because you've been hurt. And you just don't want to step out and be vulnerable with people. Some of you that lead, I mean, leaders just get criticized. 
all the time, every day, somebody is criticizing you. Period. It just is what it is. We, we have to learn how to get over it. Or else you'll stop leading. Those with murky gifts, you see it as fake wisdom. You, you have deep emotional reservoir, and you feel other people's pain, and so you make yourself vulnerable, and you can easily get hurt. So you become defensive, and you try to protect yourself. You just say you get blocked, and you get hurt. You get hurt. Some of you are givers, and you feel like you only uh, people only care about you because of your money. And so you're fake needy, and you get hurt. And so we close up our gifts, and we don't want to use them anymore. You're robbing the body of Christ. You're robbing God of glory, and you're robbing yourself of your destiny and your assignment. You've got to just get over it and get in the game. Can I hear an amen? All right. So as I was thinking about this, this movie came into my mind, this little clip, and I found it. So let's watch this real quick. So you're doing a Kansas game? the bird next to me. He's a prophet. And I said, does the bird want me to talk to him? Yeah, he sure does. That was nice. I'm kind of a preacher. Just a name. Everyone fights for position. Everybody wants to be seen. I'm seen. I guess so. Don't seem to be heard so much. But then I get seen to my room a lot, too. I wasn't always like this. Oh, what were you like before? I had a job. I had a home. I had a family. Did you have any kids? No. The man I loved fell out of love with me. He broke my heart. And when I had the chance to be loved came along again, I ran away from him. Sort of a dumb thing to do. Yeah, I was getting my heart broken. You see, sometimes you can trust a person, and then when things are down, you're just too busy. Maybe you don't forget about them, but you just remember them. I don't think people need to forget them. I think it's sad that they should. My grandfather says, "My head wasn't screwed on, but maple still does." I used to have this really nice pair of rollerblades. I was afraid if I wore them, I'd wreck them. So I kept them in a box. And you know what happened? Mm-hmm. I outgrew them. I never wore them once outside. I just wore them in my room a couple times. That's just hard for people to see when they're having a hard time seeing. What are currently seeing it for? If you aren't going to use your heart, then what's the use if it gets broken? If you just keep it to yourself, maybe they'll be like my rollerblades. And when people start to try it, they won't be any good. You should take a chance. Got nothing to lose. Jesus has something. I think so. Your heart might still be broken, but it isn't gone. If it was gone, you wouldn't be this nice. Maybe that was for me, not for you. 
what the apostle Peter says to us in 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11. God has given each of you a gift. He thinks Finley calls them from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping? Do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God, which is our whole purpose in life, is to glorify God. Through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. That's why we don't allow any wimpy worship or preaching or serving and loving around here, because it does not serve God when we give him ours. In fact, the way to worship is by giving God your best all the time, no matter what. I'm going to say that again. The way you worship is by giving God your very best because you're reflecting back to him what he has given to you, and it magnifies him. You know, when you're in a church, um, well, when you're on a sports team, let's say, you always have two extreme teams in every position. And so when you're in a spiritual community, it doesn't matter if somebody's already using that gift. You have a gift to offer, too. You sound different, you look different, you walk different, you talk different, you write different than the person that's, that's, that's doing it. Just like yesterday in the Ohio State game, the number one defensive uh, tackler in, the co- in college got injured and needed to die. So next man up, and he came in and he was a beast. He was in beast mode. You need to be in beast mode for Jesus. You see, we, we need to have two to three deep in every position for the kingdom of God to be able to operate in its fullness. I love how Josh Hamilton, is uh, he has a full-time job as well as being the worship pastor of this church. And he asked for September if he could take a break because he's overwhelmed. His wife has a kid, so, you know, in, in his, his industry, uh, September is really, really hard. And he said, absolutely. So Jesse, beast mode, steps up to the plate. He's been leading worship the last three Sundays. Has, has anybody been doing a great job? That's how the kingdom of God stays strong, is everybody using their gifts. If it's only 10% of the body using their gifts, that's why the church is strong. Everybody's got to do their part. So here's a gift through this list there. Uh, he, he gives a list of some of the gifts in the body of Christ. This is a short list. There's other lists in other parts of the Bible. Here are some of the gifts. I'm going to explain them very briefly. Prophecy is foretelling and foretelling the heart and the mind of God. Foretelling is when you are speaking the word of God to somebody. Foretelling, I mean, foretelling is when you're speaking the word of God and preaching. Foretelling is when you're telling of the future. I believe that that incorporates hearing the heart and the mind of God spontaneously for somebody in the moment. I took a risk this week. I got to risk taking a risk. I took a Starbucks. This is in the area of prophecy and uh, foretelling. I took a Starbucks, and this guy's walking up uh, to the parking lot towards Starbucks, and I felt an impression. That's all it was. It was like a coffee maker. And I I thought, you know, why does that have a button in the back? Because that's really weird to stop and turn your head and just get your coffee. And we walked by. I thought, man, that's kind of weird. Why would I think that in my head? Why would I think that? And then he came out and he walked down to Chipotle across the street. Really feel like he's just talking to me. Just a feeling, just a nudge. 
it, it wasn't enough for me to make a fool of myself and then have an awkward moment with the senior. And so then I walked down to Chipotle and just kind of see what he was doing. He was just stalking. I was stalking him. And I go in there, and I run into a, a pastor buddy of mine who pastors uh, Liberty Way Church in Poway. He was with his wife, got to meet her and his kids, and there they go. And I saw the guy sitting there with his wife and kids. I thought, well, I'm certainly not going to go over there and embarrass myself in front of his entire family. Because, you know, what am I going to say? Hi, uh, I don't know you, but I feel like God wanted me to talk to you. And you don't know what you're going to get. And so then I left. And I went back down to my table sitting outside of Starbucks. And I saw him walk to the car with his wife and his kids and go ahead and get in the car. And I'm like, oh, I think I might have missed out. I might have, I might have just saved myself another trip. And then I said to the Lord, if you really want me to talk to him, have him walk by me again. Well, that's a safe prayer, right? Because he's leaving, right? I'm sitting there, and about three or four minutes later, here he comes walking up just like he was the first time he walked. So I thought, that's what it takes. I'm not going to say anything. I said, excuse me. I said, what do you do for a living? Which was interesting, because I didn't know how to open the conversation, and that just popped out of my mouth. And he said, I'm a pastor. I said, sit down. I did, and he did. He was a young guy. We got to talking, and he was telling me about a church plant he's doing in Poway. And I said, wait a minute, what's your name? I said, oh, my gosh, you're a church plant from Mark Slomka, who has a church off of the uh, 805 and the 8, and he sent this young man to plant a church in Poway, and he said, would you please connect with my young church planter in Poway, because I oversee a, a relational network of senior pastors in the area, and that's why I was with Mark Slomka, because I knew with him, he's about five or six pastors who oversee the city, and then that group as well. And so he told me, well, you're overseeing the North County Pastors Bank. I just sent a young man. Can you please connect with him? So he gave me his number, and I texted this guy, Andrew. And Andrew's sitting there. And I said, wait a minute, I just met with your pastor just recently. He wanted you and I to connect. I texted you. He looked up at his phone and said, oh, I didn't text you back. I said, well, the Holy Spirit's just not going to let you get away, is he? How cool is that? And that was all, he needed encouragement. He needed affirmation. He needed to connect with our pastoral group. It was just a nudge on the inside. Guess what he started? Next one. Prophecy. Ministry uh, and serving. I love the servants of this house. David Loach is one of my favorite servants in this house. And uh, I have an email that David sent out to his team, and I read that email and I thought, man, David just has such a servant's heart. He doesn't get paid. He just does it because he loves Jesus. And I am going to find his email here, and I thought Listen to this email. Simply somebody calling the volunteer force together to set up church for the rest of us. Every Sunday's been doing it for years. And here's his, here's his email. In leading up to Labor Day, I think about how blessed I am to be able to work for the Lord. And in doing so, I'm receiving an inheritance which is far greater than I can imagine. And, capitals, I'm blessed to work alongside you and share in the blessings received today, tomorrow, and in the future. Smiley face. Then he puts a scripture. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord's Christ you are serving. Then he goes on and tells them who's on the team and what the assignment is for the day. Isn't that beautiful? 
exactly this gift is. He has a gift. He has a certain gift. There's also the teaching gift. The teaching gift is uh, instruction. You have the apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher. And those apostle touches all the gifts, and the teacher gets in places that nobody else wants to go. And the gift of, gets into the administration, the word of God. That's why teachers are kind of annoying. Exhortation. Exhortation are those who encourage you to do what you've been taught. They're the coaches, the cheerleaders in the body of Christ. Leading, you've got to persevere in your leadership. Leaders, when you quit, it, 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 your team sucks. I was just talking to a sports coach the other day, and she has been criticized so unmercifully. She, I ran into her right outside a sporting event. It was about to start. We just happened to park right at the same time, right in the same area, uh, right, and, and everybody else was already inside. It was a divine appointment, and she is so distraught and so discouraged, so hurt, and uh, she just wanted to quit. And I said, you're not allowed to quit because I haven't quit yet. We're both leaders. We both have teams. And if I don't quit, you don't get to quit. Now, there's a bunch of people in there, athletes in there, and parents that need you to be your best and at the top of your game. Now, get in there and be the coach that you are. She's like, yes, sir. She walks in there and does her job. Later, she says, thank you so much. We need each other as leaders to encourage one another not to quit. Strife is separate and people scatter. You can't quit, leaders. You've got to keep leading. Mercy, that's a strong perceptive emotions. You have strong, you perceive other people's emotions so easily and so strongly. This is a high EQ, not just an IQ. In our Western Hemisphere, we highly value high IQ. But when you don't have a high EQ, you stink at relationships. Nobody cares how much you know. Anybody know how much you know? Relationships are about love and connectedness Mercy and truth. Mercy is always first in the Bible. Truth and mercy run together, but mercy is always first. Mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. Not fear. Forgiveness. Then you get some truth. The person knows you care about them. And it says to do it with joy. It says those that have the mercy motive do it with joy. Why? One, because if you feel other people's emotions deeply, you'll get sucked down into their pit. And you feel depressed, too, and now you've got to be depressed. And that doesn't help anybody. That's why it says do it with joy, because joy protects you from falling into their pit, but joy also offers them hope. I remember Josh uh, Hamilton, Josh and Jill Lee were telling me when they were pregnant, and uh, something was wrong with their child, and they were really, really scared, and uh, they thought they were going to lose the child, and this nurse walks in, so bubbly, so full of joy. Now, nurses work with suffering, hurting, complaining, contagious people all day long. In and out of rooms of people that are just scared and hurting. She walked in and she was so bubbly and so happy. And eventually it all worked out with her. Obviously the baby was fine. But because of the nurse's joy, they named their daughter's middle name Ashley. They named her after that nurse because her gift of joy was so powerful. Now, you need to identify your gift, and so we have a gift test you can take online. You can take a picture of this uh, website link here. Just go to our website and find our gift test. It'll help you explain what your gift is, and, and uh, then we'll help you uh, employ it. Now for the last point of my message today, the practical application of these gifts. It gives a great list of how we're to live our lives. And uh, I want to ask you, to jot down, check off, as we go down through these very quickly as we close up, I want you to check off where you need 
God's plan. So we're going to go down through a whole bunch of Christian attributes and what it actually looks like for you to be the salt and light of the world. And there are going to be some areas we're strong in. There's going to be some areas we're weak in. We're going to need God's help. But look at the rest of the chunk of Scripture that we opened with. I want to read this uh, chunk of Scripture out of the book of Philippians, and then we're going to back and read this list from the book of Romans. Remember how we were reading this verse, work hard to show the results of your salvation by obeying God with due correction and fear that God is working in you to give you the desire and power to do what pleases him. It goes on to say this, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Oh, you say you're a Christian, but you don't act different than anybody else. That's what he's talking about. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You know, it's not cool to be like the world in heaven's eyes. Hold firmly to the word of life that on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. You know, we can come to church and shout hallelujah, but when you and I are on Tuesday afternoon and we're at work and the pressure's on, that is when Christianity goes up. I remember before I was uh, a pastor, I uh, was in business here in San Diego, and I ended up working for a print here in San Diego, and I was a sales rep for a uh, print store. And I sold, uh, I had a client that was a church here in Northern California, and he did all the printing. Well, he calls, and he gets a hold of the owner, who I'd been witnessing to, trying to draw to Christ. And the pastor was so belligerent and rude and condescending and critical that the owner put him on hold and said, hey, John, one of your Christian friends is on the other line, and I'm about to go off on him. You handle this call. And I got on the phone, and I said, hello, hey, this is uh, John Eckhorst. Can I help you? Because I was still doing ministry around town, but I wasn't a pastor. And he goes, hey, John, brother, hallelujah, praise the Lord, brother. And he starts giving me all this religious goose, all this Christianese. And I said, hey, listen, listen, you're a Christian. There's nothing you need to change about that. But, man, you are, you, you are about to ruin my witness to my business partners. What do you mean, brother? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's all good, you know. Let's go. Check off where you need help. Romans chapter 9, verses, nine uh, verses 12, verse 9 through 7. I'm going to read. Let love, verse 9, let love be without envy. I'll read it quick. Let love be without hypocrisy. That means in sincerity, but others-centered, self-sacrificing, which is supposed to be our primary advertisement. Love is not known until it is shown. It is one thing to say to somebody, I love you. It's another thing to actually sacrifice to that person. And that sacrifice is the proof of love. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Why? Because this is how you become shining lights in the world. Verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Kindly affectionate means don't be cold and standoffish. It's where we get the word Philadelphia, phileo. 
the city of brotherly love. Proof, friends, of warm affection. It says that Jesus loved, Jesus, God, loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Called them his friends. The word friend is where we get the word phileo from. So Jesus was their friend. He loved going to Lazarus' home and to see him on the last night. This kind of friendship love reveals their God to be. Not just agape love, where I love you unconditionally because you're great. And I'm going to love you anyway with the love of God. That's agape love, right? Where you love without expecting anything in return. That's how God loves us. But we're also supposed to love phileo love. Actually like each other and be each other's friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's where we get some of the kind of joy. Honoring one another. It says, and honor giving preference to one another. That is where you prefer one another over the other. Like Pastor Mark giving somebody else the last piece. Uh, preferring, isn't it, Mark? And honoring. And maybe the first piece. And maybe the largest piece. Come on, Mark. Let's all lay, reach out your hands toward Mark. He needs to grow just like the rest of us. Preferring one another, giving honor to one another. It means you are important, you are valuable, and you matter giving people airtime when you're in a group and letting other people have a chance to share what they want to share. It's honoring one another. Not lagging, fervent, serving. In verse, uh, verse 12, verse, um, verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We are called to hard, passionate kingdom work. Fervent means fiery hot, full of burning zeal, opposite of dignified, cold, and unemotional. And the word serving there is the word diakonos, which means to wait on tables. It means to meet a need. It literally means to pick up dust, like you're going as fast as you can to meet that need, or to get your hands dirty. It's where we get the word deaconess from, where you roll up your sleeves and you get dirty serving others. Jesus served us with his death. So we serve one another with our lives. Look what the scripture says. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life for his This is how we know what love is, John says. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Which is not easy, but that's why God fills us with his love. I remember I was praying with another Christian leader just recently. And he uh, said, my my kids and I pray every night that we'll be kind to one another. And he said, the other night I said to them, you know, every night we pray that we'll be kind to one another. When are you guys going to pray that? This is where uh, what we believe and what we do meet. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Patient here means not passive, putting up with things, but active, steadfast endurance. How can we do that? And the word, by the way, tribulation here is not some irritation, minor irritation, but rather deep trouble. How can we do this? It says rejoicing in hope. What this means is just like when you're in college, the the reason and the way that you can endure the grind of academic pressure, the late nights, the stress is because you're hoping that you're going to get that degree that's going to open the door for you when you need it. Or in sports, how do you grind it out and grind it out? Like my son Josiah, he plays real clear basketball. Last year, he was terrible. 
They can't get rid of the Lord Jesus because he wouldn't put any effort in. If they throw the ball to him and they would lose it, he wouldn't ever keep the ball. It was the last one down the court, and it was really frustrating. So this year, I just didn't want to play. And so Scott, he goes, I want to play wheelchair basketball again this year. And I said, I don't need to. He said, why not? I said, because you don't even try. He said, I tried it, so I promise. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Every week, we're going to be in the driveway. We're going to be working together, and I'm going to work my butt off. He said, okay, let's do it. And so every every night, we go out in the driveway, man, I push him until he can't go anymore. And we shoot him until he can't shoot anymore. And we went to practice last Monday night, and they played a scrimmage. And he made two of the five points. He stole two balls. And, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was doing these fast breaks where he's going down in front of everybody else. And his coach slows the ball all the way down. And it bounces. And he's got ice in my face. Get the foam. Lay up. You know, he looked at me. I looked at him like, yeah. It was awesome. That's right, Dad. He had to earn it. But it was the reward. It was the reward of his father being proud of him, his coach saying, boy," his team seeing him as a contributor, but it took, it took work. It took tribulation. <laughs> I put it to you, tribulation, so that he could have the hope at the end of the race. What Paul is saying is, listen, Christian, no matter how hard it is, rejoice in the hope. It's all going to be over one day, and you're going to see Jesus face to face. And you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, that is where you find your strength to endure. Distributing to the needs of the saints, that is where we are just a giving church and we help one another. And given the hospitality, and that means pursuing hospitality, looking for opportunities to open your home and allow Christian brothers and sisters in for fellowship. The Bible also says, show hospitality without grumbling because it is, it's annoying. You've got a vacuum, you've got to clean, you've got to get ready, you've got to do some work, you've got a connection you've got to get ready for. So do it without grumbling. Pursue hospitality. You know, be ready to raise your hand and say, I'll open my home and let the Christian family come in. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse. It's easy to curse those who curse you. It's the most natural response to curse that person on the street when they cut you off. It's just so easy. I watched a YouTube video this week of this lady who said the person behind him in the Starbucks drive-thru was being so obnoxious, honking their horn, waving at him, giving him hello signs and, and their windshield. And she was like so frustrated. She wanted to get out and just clock the person. You know what she did instead? She dropped everything else and just stood and clocked him. You see, that sets her free from being bitter and angry. It makes her a victim, not a victim. And it changes her theology of life. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is really the essence of the Christian community. I had a brother tell me recently that he was telling me his testimony, not somebody else. He said, Chris, this other person, whenever I give them a praise report, they look shocked. And it's because it's just an honor for them. I know that's hard when someone's giving you a honor. But it shouldn't be about you in the honor. It's got to be about the person you're honoring. I'm not doubting you that God loves you. Praise God if you're in your loving home. Or when somebody's weeping and hurting, don't be callous and just kind of like, Get on your own business, but stop and say, listen, that's the body of Christ. Because the joy shared is twice the joy and the sorrow shared. I'm not hugging you guys. And then he goes on to say this. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. 
Do not be wise in your own opinion. That is simply to be like Jesus. Professors related to undergrads, doctors and, and CEOs to the minimum wage employees. Here's what Mother Teresa did by leaving the convent and going to live among the people. She associated with the humble. She became like them. That is just like Jesus. Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? Just because we have more money than somebody doesn't make us better than them. And that makes us look like them. If we have greed in our heart and we think our net worth is just better than somebody else's. Or if we have a nicer house than they do. Or our marriage is intact and somebody else's fell apart and thinks ours is better than theirs. Or if we fail at something. It ruins everything. When Jesus, God himself, came to the earth, so should we. We should be like Jesus. I want us to pray. I ask you to check off this list of what you think you might not have. Maybe you need to identify that you didn't have it. And you need to realize you have it now. And maybe you need to start using it. You need to repent of what God has given you tried to say 67, didn't you? No. All right, 74. And he thought he was done. He's not done. He's one of my new intercessors. And he came to intercessory prayer this morning, and he, and he helped light that place up back there. He thought he was done. I said, you're not dead yet, are you? No, sir. I said, then you're not done. And so he spent a little bit of time figuring out what his gift might be. And he's got a lot of time on his hands because he's not working, and he can't drive. And I said, oh, well, they'd be with the Apostle Paul into a prison. Give her a loan. He wrote the New Testament. And so now, <laughs> yeah, that's a low bar right in the New Testament. What have you done for Jesus lately, Al? But Al's one of my new prayer partners. He says, when you need prayer, send me what I'm going to pray about. I'm going to pray about it. And so, Al, you've got to be activated a little bit. Maybe you need to discover what your gift is. Maybe you need to use it. Or maybe there's something on this list we just read of all these Christian characteristics that you need to say, God, use me to help somebody else. Now let's go to the Holy Spirit for a minute.
work behind that planet that has to give us the desire and the power to do what pleases God. There is no desire and power greater than God. Thank you for coming today. Go to a connect group this week, and I'll see you next Sunday.